in agriculture in general, it's just labor's getting shorter. Um, but yet farmers are going to have to produce more. So, you know, the guy could only raise 500 head of cattle in the past. Uh, he's, you know, having to increase his operation just to kind of keep it going. Cause you know, if you're not growing, you know, you're going backwards. It seems like, uh, as everybody else grows around you. So one of the ways, um, that works at making it a little bit more efficient, you know, it's putting them under, you know, maybe a hoop shed or something like that. But one of the best ways I've seen it so far is a deep pit containment system. A whole new era of communication in the beef industry is coming. Now you have the brightest minds of the global beef industry right in your pocket. And what's best, you can listen to all of them while driving to the farm, traveling, or running errands. It's never been this good, and it's never been this simple. We want to thank the innovative companies and products whose support and trust make this podcast possible. Healthy Farms by Bioverse, your manure management experts. Contact us for time and labor-saving solutions. High D from DSM Fermanish can help your cattle get the vitamin D they need this winter. Welcome to the Beef Podcast Show, a weekly podcast where you'll find cutting-edge insights and everything that's working in the global beef industry. We have a time and labor-saving product for you. Beef and Dairy AgriSlat by Healthy Farms is your solution. No more lugging jugs around the barn every month. With Beef and Dairy AgriSlat, you simply drop the slat through the floor twice a year, and it works to break down solids, reduces crusting, and forming. To learn more, visit MyHealthyFarms.com. Welcome to the Beef Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Brandy Buzzard, and it's my pleasure to bring you the trending issues and topics with the best and brightest minds of the beef industry. Today, we are joined by Matthew Schutte, Technical Service Representative at the Healthy Farms by Bioverse, where he helps his clients find solutions for farming operations such as manure remediation, animal health, or crop production. He earned his bachelor's in agronomy and master's in crop production, both from South Dakota State University, before joining Bioverse in 2016. We're excited to talk with him today about all things of manure containment and management and helping growers solve problems with their manure systems. So thank you for being here, Matthew. We appreciate you coming on the podcast today. Yeah, thank you for having me. To start off with, um, I know we, I covered a very, very small portion of your bio, but um, can you tell us a little bit about how you got involved in the beef and cattle industry and kind of your career path so far? Like what brought you to Bioverse and your role in here? Um, well, yeah, I was uh, born and raised in Rushmore, Minnesota, um, you know, corn and soybeans, but we also had cattle when I was growing up. Um, kind of got out of that, uh, I think it was like 2007 or 2012 when corn hit seven bucks. Um, it was a little bit more profitable to sell corn rather than feeding it. Um, so at that time, then I went to college, uh, got an undergrad, got a master's, uh, wanted to work around, you know, the home area, um, still be on the farm, but yet still, you know, have a job off the farm. Um, and that's where Bowers came into play. Um, interviewed with them, really liked uh, what they did. Um, and just been working with them ever since. Um, and they, what they really do is that they work with uh, manure. A big part of that is in the swine side with deep pit barns there. Uh, but we have been getting a lot more into cattle more and more just because the market has been going in that direction with deep pit cattle barns uh, and such like that. So. Okay, so when you say deep pit cattle barns, I have to admit, I know a little bit about deep pit with like in the hog arena. My husband is full-time employed in the swine industry. So I have like, a, and I did my master's on swine research. So I have like a small bit here. 
But deep pit cattle barns is not something that I have any familiarity with. So, you know, maybe you could just, you know, bring us up to speed on that, what that means and kind of how that, you know, what that is around your area there. Well, yeah. One thing that's interesting with deep pit cattle barns is there's really, you know, no one way to go about it, I guess. Um, You know, with when you look at a swine barn, it seems it's very common to have 1,200 head over an eight foot deep pit and you pump it out once a year in the fall. Um, when it comes to deep pit cow barns, you know, I've seen all the way from, you know, eight foot deep pit where they retrofitted a swine barn uh, to be into a cattle barn, um, all the way to be in a 14 foot deep pit. Um, and, you know, they finish cattle on it. Uh, wow. So there's really, you know, no one way that these barns are designed. Um, but there is a common challenge with it where when you look at a swine manure, it's a lot more liquidy. Um, easier to pump out in, in most regards. I mean, there still is plenty of other challenges. But with cattle, one of the biggest issues is that it's a little bit drier um, or quite a bit drier in some cases and, you know, uh, a lot more fibrous. So you have a little bit of troubles in the bacteria breaking that fiber down and having something that can be easy to uh, to pump out. So there's there can be a lot of cha- challenges with solids and crusting in a deep pit cattle barn. And, uh, but there's a lot of push for that in our area, especially, you know, there's a lot of guys that are building them. Um, you know, one of the things that, uh, it saves on is time, uh, you know, not having to do, uh, you know, say with a bed pack barn, uh, you know, having to clean pens, put more, uh, corn stalks out, such like that, um, saves a lot of time in that regard. Um, also in the manure value itself, uh, you know, because you can keep that in a liquid uh, solution typically. Um, and then inject that directly into the ground, you get to retain a lot more of that uh, nitrogen uh, before it might volatize into the air. You know, to say if you spread dry manure out, there's a good chance that you're losing a good amount of that nitrogen before you can dig it in. Because um, a lot mm-hmm. of studies show you can lose, you know, quite a bit of the nitrogen within the first hour after spreading it, but also within the first, you know, 24 hours, especially. So that's one thing that a deep pit manure barn with a liquid solution uh, has the advantage there where, you know, you get a little bit more manure value for it. So, so you're talking about, you know, like pumping. Them out. So my first question is how often with like an eight foot pit, are you going to pump that out? Like you said with hogs, it might be one time a year, but as cattle, is that like, if you got them in there year round, is it like a two or three time a year? Like kind of, how does that work? And then I have another question after you get, after you answer that. Oh yeah. So typically in a cattle barn, eight foot, you know, isn't too crazy common. Uh, the industry standard was 12 foot for a long time. Um, I seem to see a bit more of it going to 14 foot just because, you know, sometimes it gets a little tight uh, with capacity uh, with 12 foot. Um, you know, and typically, yeah, you want to just pump it in the fall and that's it. But we do see guys where they have that in both fall and spring. Um, I don't think the guys that are doing it in the spring really would like to be doing it in the spring just because, you know, spring, there's a ton of work. Adding one more job mm-hmm. to do uh, can kind of make it a little bit messy and, you know, delay planting or or just, you know, slow things down. While in the fall, that's typically when we want to do it. And that's why more guys are kind of going into the larger uh, pits, uh, especially because, you know, like I said, that cow manure can be a little bit drier. Um, I see guys where they have gutters on these cattle barns and they'll actually feed them directly into the cattle pits. Um, but okay. the past couple of years has been kind of above average for, well, below average for rainfall. 
uh, above average for heat and uh, we're seeing a little bit of dryness in there. So we have guys that are actually, you know, hauling water to put into their cattle pits uh, so that it can be a lot easier to stir up and pump out. Otherwise, oh, you know, it, it's kind of hard to pump out a, you know, pretty dry cattle barn. So. Yeah, that does. That's not something that I imagine has to has been dealt with a lot in the past. You know, just these past two years specifically, I feel like our heat has been so intense, um, really nationwide. Um, you kind of touched on a little bit, like down here in where I live in Southeast Kansas, we are probably, I hopefully quickly approaching mud season and mud season for us is kind of like hopefully mid September, late September, basically through March, that's mud season for us. And so I imagine, you know, you know about that and like, how does, like, how does the climate in Minnesota affect, you know, affect this? So like, can they pump out? like all this on frozen ground? Does it have to be a certain, certainly certain days that they can do this? I'm not from a background where we fertilize using like large amounts of, you know, from pit, uh, deep cattle pit. So just like, how does that work? And then if they pump it out, are they able to store it? I guess I'm just, I'm very new to all this. And I'm really interested in hearing, you know, how this works. Cause as you know, beef production is very different from coast to coast and all through the Midwest. Yeah. So one thing that's kind of affecting our fall applications is, uh, you know, we're starting to get a little bit more regulations uh, when it comes to manure application and fields. Uh, seeing that in swine side, or at least I'm hearing more about it, um, but it's probably going to affect the beef side too, uh, where application, or it already does affect the beef side, but application, typically they want to have that done when the soil temperature is below 50 degrees, but you want to actually have it in the soil, which has to be done before it's 32 degrees. Well, the problem with Minnesota is we can go from 80 degree, 90 degree weather to almost freezing pretty quick. Um, you know, so fall weather, you know, yeah, you might have a week or two in that window. You might have a month and a half. You know, you just don't know how long you're going to be able to go and apply that. So that's why we sometimes like to be on the earlier side. You know, around here, we're chopping silage right now, actually. Um, so guys will be applying manure pretty quick. That soil temperature is way above 50 degrees but you got to get it done you got to get it hauled out um you know if you wait any longer you just you just don't know what the weather's going to do i mean it can change at the drop of a hat i mean we right. just had a high of 90 plus degrees uh while i think within the next week we're going to have a high of 70 you know with a low approaching freezing almost so it's going to be pretty important to get that out there because it might be warm now but winter is is coming so <laughs> we need that like menacing game of thrones uh background music with the, the winter is coming um and i imagine you guys you feel that much more severely in minnesota than we do down here in kansas um as i was reading up a little bit i was you know preparing to talk to you and reading about this i saw this term somewhere and so i'm gonna say that and i want to i'm hoping that you will draw a visual for our audience when i say this term so pit foaming yeah. Um, you know, in cattle barns, it doesn't happen too crazy often. Um, I've seen it twice. Uh, well, in like swine barns, I've, I've gotten hundreds of calls about uh, pit foaming. Um, while in cattle, it's, it's happened twice uh, that I've done it. The first one where was a guy that um, he was feeding, you know, he had kind of the barn overstocked with Holsteins and uh, he was trying to feed once a day. And a lot of it was overflowing into the pit. Um, I mean, he had a 12-foot deep pit, and there was feed above the slats. It was that deep with spilled feed. Um, oh. 
So that was going to be a major issue going into fall, having all that feed there. So we went and inoculated it with some of our product and it inoculated and broke it down so fast that there was so much activity happening that, you know, it started foaming. Essentially, it was kind of, you know, like beer foam, but imagine a lot thicker and stickier and just nastier in every regard. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, <clears throat> yeah. And uh, he wasn't very happy about it, but yeah, the manure pumpers that I was working with, they said that was the best they've ever pumped that barn down when that all happened. So um, there was a silver lining in that regard. I mean, in the end, we got what we wanted, but yeah, it wasn't fun having all that foam while that feed was breaking down. Um, the second one was actually an aerator. Um, they had an aeration setup and uh, great idea and it, and it worked very well for getting some oxygen into that manure um, helps reduce odor by having that oxygen in there um, and also just makes breakdown happen that much better too um, so just including that amount of oxygen in there but something must have went goofy and uh, he just started having foaming like crazy so he had to change a lot of things um, just to try to get that under control. And, and I, I believe he actually ended up, yeah, getting it under control. But for a while there, there was nothing stopping it. So, but typically in swine manure, um, what happens there is uh, uh, you get methanogen or methane producing bacteria that are going nuts and producing a lot of methane. And that can be a very dangerous situation where that methane releases and gets catched on fire. Um, we would buy a pilot light or something like that. You know, you can have a a flash fire or an explosion uh, in oh. these hog barns. So that, that isn't very uncommon. Um, you know, I mean, I hear about, you know, one or two every year at least. Um, while, you know, I also get, like I said, hundreds of calls every year about uh, foaming manure barns. So you're just hundreds of hundreds of foaming manure barns. Yeah. It doesn't sound like something that I would like to have in my job description. So I uh, appreciate you heading that up for so many people. Um, and, you know, in many parts of the country, having cattle like in a, you know, like an indoor barn, like what you're speaking about is not as prevalent, you know, due to climate and due to the you know, amount of the rainfall and stuff like that. Um, you're in Minnesota. Do you see with, um, you know, with just trends, do you see that that may be expanding across the country? Um, you talk, you say you talk to hundreds of, of producers every year. Um, are you, are you seeing more indoor like cattle management systems happening or mm. in your experiences that kind of stay in the same? Well, yeah, just, <clears throat> you know, having those open lots, uh, you know, that can be just kind of a, a, a real, a lot of work, I guess, you know, what you see, uh, in agriculture in general is just labor's getting shorter. Um, but yet farmers are going to have to produce more. So, you know, the guy could only raise 500 head of cattle in the past. Uh, he's, you know, having to increase his operation just to kind of keep it going. Cause you know, if you're not growing, you know, you're going backwards. It seems like, uh, as everybody else grows around you. So one of the ways, um, that works at making it a little bit more efficient, you know, is putting them under, you know, maybe a hoop shed or something like that. But one of the best ways I've seen it so far is a deep pit containment system. You know, um, I got a friend that I talked to and every time I talk to him, we talk for, you know, hours sometimes. And, uh, you know, he's hauling crap all day, every day, it seems like, you know? <laughs> so, um, and we go back and forth about, you know, difference between a, you know, deep uh, pit containment system versus uh, a hoop shed barn. And the biggest thing is cost. I mean, it costs, 
I think for him, he said it costs almost twice as much to have a deep pit containment barn, if not more, uh, per headspace. Um, while he had open lot system, and you know, he said he would way rather just have way more cattle under a uh, hoop shed than have an open lot in general. Um, now he's on a flat piece of dirt, so you know it's a little bit easier. You know, I've seen some guys where they have open lot systems, but they got a lot of slope. Um, makes it work very well for them. Um, but around here, we're, you know, we're pretty flat or at least for the most part. So, you know, having those under a hoop shed can really help. Plus when these heat waves go around, you know, those are the cattle that stay on feed the best. It seems like, uh, under the hoop shed. So yeah, or at least that's what I've been told. So. Well, I mean, that makes sense if they're not being out in the sunlight for, you know, however many day, hours a day and like, you know, down here, it's triple digit heat. You're saying, you know, you've had mid to high 90 degree up there in Minnesota, like that, that makes total sense that those cattle they are going to be under that shade are going to perform better, are going to want to stay on feed. Um, you did your master's on crop production, correct? Mm-hmm. Like in South Dakota. Yep. So uh, I'm curious, like, you know, we're seeing these extended droughts for, you know, if, if every year there's always a, a region of the United States that's in a drought. That's not a new development, but it seems to be a little bit more widespread this year. Like, from your experience working with crops, and, and I know that you've done some consulting with people about like farming, row crop, and things like that, you know, is kind of what do you see the future going to in that area? I mean, are, are we going to have more development of drought resistant, you know, strains of, of different crops? I mean, I know that like uh, we planted a drought resistant sorghum this year, forage sorghum. Are we going to see more of those kinds of developments with your, with other row crops? Like, I'm just curious, you know, you have the the background on both the livestock and the crop here. So I'm, mm-hmm. you know, interested in your thoughts on those things. Yeah. And, um, <clears throat> you know, we're starting to see different uh, variety of crop systems. You know, used to be, you know, corn, soybeans was pretty much it. Um, but we're starting to see guys branch out into other stuff. Uh, you know, had one cattle grower where, um, you know, he's doing more no-till on some of his drier ground, uh, lighter ground. Um, so yeah, he did some rye grass and then chopped that for silage and then doubled that up with some sorghum sedan grass and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, chopped that as well. Um, so kind of going into different options cause yeah, around here, I mean, it's usually corn or soybeans or nothing else really. Um, but starting to see guys expand out from that. Um, but yeah, in general, I mean, what we've noticed too is, uh, you know, hybrids are going longer day, um, drought protection is, or having a hybrid that's more for drought is been almost a requirement, um, at least the past few years, um, you know, and then irrigation. Uh, we don't have a whole lot of irrigation around here because, you know, well, a lot of guys joke and say they were in God's country, but yeah, it seems like we, you know, get our 30 plus inches of rain. Um, we got our heavy black dirt that keeps it around. Um, mm-hmm. and the biggest thing for us was tile to get rid of water, but it seems like, uh, you know, a lot of more people are talking about irrigation to get that water to come back, at least on some of this marginal ground that still goes for, you know, nearly, you know, $10,000 an acre in our area. So, you know, you got to try and, you know, say if you got a quarter or a couple quarters that are in tough ground and you're always, you know, 50 to 100 bushels behind on some of that other, you know, good dirt. Um, you know, I've seen guys put irrigation up and all of a sudden they're doing 50 bushel better than than guys with good dirt are doing. So, um, you know, it's pretty big deal to go from producing 150 bushel corn to 250 plus. So, oh, that, yeah, that's huge. Absolutely yeah. huge. 
while before we never had to worry about irrigation. So, yeah, it's uh, it's pretty. It's been a stark difference here the course the last few years, really, in terms of moisture across the country. Mm-hmm. In terms of different feed stuffs and feed rations, and circling back to the pit, uh, the pit foaming, like, does what the cattle eat have any effect on how the inoculant that uh, Bioverse uses? Like, does it have any effect on how that reacts with it, or is it by the time it reaches that stage of its digestion, for lack of a better word, is it really, is it, is it irrelevant by that time? Um, yeah, no, it, it can be pretty important. I mean, I, there's some beef growers that will have uh, direct fed microbials uh, or biologicals added to their rations, uh, and that can help uh, digest the solids uh, better before it gets to the back end um, and gets into the pit. Um, and then also just depends on how much roughage you have. Um, you know, the less roughage you have, you know, the better off you can be uh, as far as the liquidity in that uh, manure. Um, but overall, I mean, we try to, you know, manure isn't going to change too crazy much. Um, there's only a few instances, mostly in the swine side. I remember in 2020 in COVID, um, we had a huge amount of crusting in swine pits that summer because, you know, there's guys that were feeding a lot of fiber to uh, to their pigs just to slow them down because of all the plants that were shut down. Oh, right, um, yeah. On the cattle side, haven't seen, you know, any huge swings like that, I guess, uh, between each pit. But you can still, you know, still is good to, you know, talk to the grower, listen to them and see what kind of challenges they're going through with each pit um, and see what we can do to fix that issue. So that's interesting. Well, when you aren't working and helping other producers with their pit foaming or, you know, consulting about different manure management or crop production things, you know, what are you filling your time with in terms of hobbies? Do you have time for any hobbies? Um, well, I got a couple other businesses that I do. Uh, you know, I, yeah, I have a seed and chemical business on the side. That's kind of the reason why, um, you know, I work more on a consultant basis with Bioverse. Uh, I still have plenty of time to answer any calls that growers have. Um, but, you know, also I have pumpkins and such like that. We're actually going to be setting up uh, roadside stands for pumpkins just coming week. Um, yeah, we grow four acres of those. So, yeah, we're hitting the season for that now. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you fix it to be Mach 9 with pumpkins. Yeah. So, yeah, we, we pick quite a few of them. So, and it's not been a bad year. I was kind of worried that it was going to be a little tough uh, with the heat and the dryness and all that. But, you know, honestly, they look pretty good. So. so, you were not expecting to get these questions when you came on here today, but I have some legitimate pumpkin questions today. So, I hope that you'll um, enter, <laughs> that you'll bear with me. <laughs> I did not um, get my pumpkins off the porch last year in a timely fashion, mm-hmm. and they kind of like turned to goo. And then they started growing out of my flower beds this fall. Um, so I have these pumpkin vines coming off my porch. And my question is, how do I know? One question is, how do I know when the pumpkins are done? Like mm-hmm. when they have reached, when they're done growing. And then when do I need, when can I stop watering them? Because like it's in about 10 days, it's going to be low 80s is the high here. will be the high here. Mm-hmm. And that for me will be my sign like fall is here. I'll be excited. Oh. I'll, I will decide, have decided that fall is here and I'll be ready. So how do you know when a pumpkin is ready to pick and do I need to keep watering them right now? Well, as soon as uh, the pumpkin starts to turn orange, it's pretty much done for the most part. Um, you could cut it off of the vine and everything at that point, even if it's just a speck of orange. 
Uh, we don't do that just because sometimes they can finish a little funny because there's still plenty of moisture in there and they might not um, set up the right way, I guess, or they might look a little funnier. Um, but yeah, as soon as they turn orange, yeah, you can pretty much, yeah, uh, they're pretty much done at that point. But the ones closest to the main stem will probably mature a lot faster or earlier than the ones on the edge. So you can kind of keep them going. I mean, we get new pumpkins <clears throat> all the way into October, uh, but usually they don't finish um, or they get frozen or something like that. So, you know, I mean, you can keep it going as long as you want, but yeah, um, just keep growing them until you don't want any more pumpkins. So. Um, okay. So I think that these were ornamental pumpkins maybe that I had not thrown. I had a whole bunch of them and I just oh. took me a long time to some. So on one vine is a normal looking orange, like I'll call it a jack-o'-lantern pumpkin. Yep. I don't know what that's actually called, but I, I swear on the same vine, it, maybe it's a different vine, but they're all like intertwined are like these orange and yellow striped ones. So mm. I can pick the orange one from what you're telling me because it's like a larger one. But then the smaller ones that are orange and yellow, like striped, do I just call it good? Yeah, you I'm probably sorry. could. I'm yeah, sorry if it looks on the pumpkin spot here. No, yeah, no, if it kind of <laughs> looks like what that's what it's supposed to be. But, you know, that's kind of thing with pumpkins, too. Uh, people ask me why we don't just replant the pumpkins that we have. Um, well, pumpkins will produce uh, uh, the fruit in the same color as what the seed is supposed to. So say you want a 25 pound jack-o'-lantern orange pumpkin. Okay. <clears throat> well, the, it'll look like a 25 pound orange jack-o'-lantern pumpkin. But if you say you got some 50 pound white pumpkins, you got some yellow pumpkins, blue ones, whatever, um, you know, that pollen's just kind of going around pollinating whatever female flower there is. Um, so the seeds inside that 25 pound pumpkin could be, you know, a 50 pound white, could be a 20 pound yellow, it could be, you know, so it could be a surprise seed. Um, but if it was grown in an area, um, you know, say you got a 20 acre swath of 25 pound jack-o'-lantern pumpkins, it's going to be pretty unlikely that, you know, you're going to have a lot of cross contamination or whatever you want to call it. So, but our pumpkins, you know, we got only four acres. And we've got like 40 different hybrids in there. So if we planted the pumpkins that, you know, we got from last year, the leftovers, we would have a wild variety, I bet. So, yeah. So the pumpkins on the vines, if I left them on the porch right now, I could have some random orange, like they could look very different next year. Yeah, they could cross pollinate with each other and, and such like that. So. That's fascinating. Yeah. I'm sorry. I know that you weren't planning to talk about pumpkins when you came on today to talk about cattle production. No, sure. Yeah. <laughs> I was just watering them this morning and that was perfect. So, well, thanks for sharing that little, you know, non, you know, that side of your life with us. Um, that's really all the questions that we've got today, you know, talking about the pit foaming and the deep pit raising cattle in that manner. Is there anything that, you know, that you want to share more about in that, you know, in that respect or that area that I just completely missed and didn't bring up? No, uh, yeah. Kind of think that's about it, I suppose. So yeah. I can't think of anything well, off the top of my head. Okay. It's time for our famous three. Well, we ask these last three questions to every member or every guest that comes on the podcast. And so I gave you a little bit of heads up on these, not a lot, but a little bit. So hopefully that will, that have been enough. But the first one is what is your favorite beef or cattle related book or resource? Um, yeah, my favorite thing is just uh, talking to people that are in the industry. Um, 
you know, I mean, they kind of know the most. Uh, you know, I got a friend that feeds cattle. Uh, I got a lot of customers that do too. So, you know, if I got a question about it, I'll just ask them, I guess. Um, otherwise, if I'm looking for something a little official or whatever, I'll just check out university extensions as well too. So it's great. I, that is kind of a consistent question. Um, a consistent answer, honestly, that I get more often than not, like the extent, the local extension website or like the local, like an extension booklet comes up quite often. So that's a common thread. All right. So the next one is, is what is a book that is not related to beef or cattle that you are currently reading? Uh, I guess, you know, mostly read, you know, fiction books for entertainment, but otherwise, yeah, just like to anything I can learn, I guess. I mean, university websites, you know, about well, pumpkins or strawberries or whatever, or corn. <laughs> I don't know. I just like learning about that kind of stuff and anything that's kind of new and catches my curiosity, I suppose. So, I mean, it can even be Wikipedia for all I know. I can usually spend an hour on there just clicking on random stuff and learning random things. So, yeah. Yeah, you can really go down the rabbit hole on Wikipedia. Um, yeah. Do you grow strawberries too? Yeah, yeah. We have pick our own, pick your own strawberries and raspberries as well. So. Oh my gosh, we. I've got. We're gonna have to end this because I would just talk your ear <laughs> off about like. I love. I love the idea of having like an orchard or a like a like a pick your own kind of place and you know year round you're just always hosting new people i think that's amazing so that's very cool um okay and this last question we ask that we ask of everybody when you think when you think of someone that you look up to or admire what is a trait they have that has enabled them to be successful uh kind of big one is passion or something like you know one of the biggest things that attracted me to bioverse was uh, one of the owners um you know he's in his 80s but you know, you talk to him, he's as excited as a 20 year old college student learning about something new. Um, you know, he's just, he's a curious guy. He, he, uh, you know, but yeah, he's just very passionate about what he wants to do. And, you know, I've seen a lot of people that are in their 60 plus years old where they kind of, you know, I'm old. I don't really need to learn anything new. You know, I'm, I'm kind of set my ways, but you know, this guy, he's always learning something new. Um, you know, he's always actively engaging, asking tons of questions and just a very enjoyable guy to be around. But, you know, guy that I, I look up to for for anything. So, yeah, that's so true. Passion can take you such a long ways, you know, a long way in your career or in hobbies, you know, even just having that passion and that drive can keep you going for the long haul. So thank you for sharing those um, mm -hmm. those little pieces of fun information with us. That is all the time that we have for today. I want to thank you, Matthew, for joining us here on the Beef Podcast Show. If people want to find out more about you or your work with Bioverse or your like your consulting or your seed business or the pumpkins or the U-Pick strawberries, if people want to learn more about you, how can they do that? Where can they go? Well, yeah, they can go to the Bioverse website, uh, Healthy Farms by Bioverse. Uh, yeah, and just contact us at our phone and yeah ask for me or you know any of the agricultural lines will also lead to me too so <laughs> otherwise okay. yeah, however way they want to get in contact with me otherwise yeah my email is uh mshooty at bioverse.com okay well i'm going to put those in the show notes so listeners if you are wanting to get a hold of matthew you can check the show notes for the bioverse website and then also his email there so Thank you so much again, Matthew, for joining us and sharing this perspective with us. Um, as we know, beef production is different in every single state. And so it's really interesting to learn more about how different regions do that. So thank you again for joining us. And those who are listening on our audience, thank you for joining us and tuning in. And we hope you will join us again next week on the Beef Podcast.
looking to elevate your brand and captivate audiences through the power of podcasting? Look no further. Introducing the custom podcast brought to you by Wisemetics, where we take care of the behind the scenes so that you can focus on what truly matters. Podcasting has become an invaluable tool for brand awareness, but let's face it, putting it into practice can be a daunting task. It's incredibly time-consuming and requires technical know-how, but don't worry, we've got you covered. With our experienced team at the help, we'll handle the operational aspects so you can channel your energy into what your company does best. Are you ready to unleash the podcasting potential of your company? Schedule a call with one of our specialists today at the link in the bottom of this episode. You'll also receive a free podcast strategy consult tailored to the unique needs and goals of your business.